Good morning, church. It's good to be in the house of God. I'm Clara, one of the staff here at New Life, currently overseeing the community groups. And today I have the great honor to close out our sermon series that we've been in for the past seven weeks uh, on the book of Revelation, the seven churches, the letters that Jesus writes. And today we get to close out this time with the last letter <clears throat> that Jesus writes to the church of Laodicea. And this church, unlike the church we talked about last week, Philadelphia, who only received praise and uh, Jesus had only good things to say, today's message is actually tougher. Jesus actually has hard rebuke criticism for this church. So it's going to be a tough message, but brace yourself. Sometimes we need something tough in order to grow. Amen. And so if you are able, uh, would you rise with me? We're going to read the text uh, that comes from Revelation chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 14 to 22. After we read this text, I will say these are the words of the Lord, and you say thanks be to God, and you can have your seats after that. So let's read. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either caught, uh, cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seats. <clears throat> Mother Teresa was an Albanian Catholic nun who devoted her entire life to serving the poorest of poor in Calcutta, India. She's recognized in history as perhaps one of the greatest humanitarians in the 20th century, winning, uh, winning multiple awards, including the Nobel Peace Prize. And although she spent the majority of her time with those who the wealthy nations, those in the West, would consider poor and desperate in need, this is what she actually said about people who lived in the wealthiest countries, like us, America. This is what she said. The greatest disease in the West is not TB or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical disease with medicine, but only a cure of loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It's not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. Wow. A harsh rebuke in some sense. Uh, Mother Teresa is talking about countries like America. She's talking about us who live in so much wealth, luxury, plenty. She's saying, even though we may look down and say, oh, poor them, those, the people who live in India, I feel so bad for them. Mother Teresa is say, saying, no, no. When I look at you, 
living in abundance, having so much, I actually feel bad for you. Because just because you have a lot of wealth, luxury, those comforts, doesn't mean that you're living your life well. You're missing the thing that matters most, which is love, and you're deprived of God. And I think this message that Mother Teresa gave to the people of the West, to us, I think it's the same message that Jesus is giving to us today through the church of Laodicea. Today, if you're taking notes, we have two points. The first is unveil, and the second is repent. Unveil. The book of Revelation is actually about unveiling the truth. As Pastor Eric would mention that this, is, this book is not really so much about the future and uh, prophecy, but it's actually lifting up the curtain of the physical realm to see the spiritual truth of how things really are. And the church of Laodicea, when you would look at it on the outside, they looked like a very wealthy church. They had everything put together. In fact, I think this church, if it had existed today, would be the kind of church that we would want to attend. People looked up to this church perhaps because of their abundance, their comfort. They lacked nothing. And I think the reason the church was so wealthy was because it was telling of where it was located, that it was located in the city of Laodicea, which was one of the wealthiest regions in Asia Minor. It was located between two trade routes, and so there was a lot of money flowing in. And in this city, they were specifically known for three things. Number one, they were known for banking, lots of money pouring in. Number two, they were also known for a very robust textile industry. They produced these really rich and highly wanted uh, black wool. And thirdly, they were known for their medical schools. They had an abundance of knowledge and research, producing even these famous eye salves that people would want and use. And so this church, just like the city, had so much, so many good things going for it. But when Jesus looked at the church, he sees what lays behind, beneath. And he says, you know what? I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I want to just spit you out of my mouth. This word spit you is actually to vomit. He says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus says to the church, hey, you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. You know, oftentimes this passage is misunderstood um, for people to think that maybe Jesus is talking about, oh, I want you to be uh, on fire for me. You need to be hot for Jesus. Be passionate. Don't, or Jesus is saying, I'd rather just have you not follow me at all. Be cold. And we think this passage is a rebuke of people who are apathetic, kind of wishy-washy about their faith. Somewhat, but that's not entirely true. There's more beneath what's going on in this context. To understand that we actually have to know something about the waters of Laodicea. It's interesting, we have uh, the Honduras Well Project team talking about what, the importance of water. But the water of Laodicea was actually the greatest weakness of the city in that uh, they had everything, but they were not able to produce natural water in the city. And so what they did was they would take water from various cities around Laodicea. Like there, uh, there was a city called Herapolis, which was known to have these really amazing hot springs. And they would have these warm water baths and people would go there to Herapolis to rest and heal and be rejuvenated. 
Another city that was close by to Laodicea was a city called Colossae. And there, they were known for their cold water source that was mountain spring water, so fresh. And anyone that drank that water was like, wow, so refreshed and revived. But as Laodicea would receive waters from all these different cities, and it would come down through the pipes and, and had a lot of mineral sediments, and as it kind of warmed in the, in the temperatures in the, Middle East, in, in the Asia Minor, the water temperature would no longer be cold. It would just become lukewarm. And it was filled with all these minerals to the point where people say that it was probably undrinkable. It stunk. And so Jesus is saying... Hey, church, you are just like your water source. You are not doing what you are supposed to be doing. You have lost sight of my mission. You have become spiritually ineffective. You're not providing healing and restoration for those who are sick and broken, nor are you providing refreshment and life to those who are thirsty for God. What are you doing? You make no difference in your city, is what Jesus is saying. You're there. You look abundant and well, and like you have it all together. But when I look at you, I pity you. You're poor, blind, and naked. And the saddest part is you don't even know that you are this way. Unless you change, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Harsh rebuke from the Lord. I wonder, when I think about this church, why? Why did this church of Laodicea become lukewarm? Were they always like this? No. Actually, this church was most likely founded by Apostle Paul because there were letters that were sent to this church of Laodicea alongside the letters to the Colossians. So this was a vibrant church at one point, but they lost sight of their mission. What happened in Laodicea? And I want to suggest today that maybe two things were going on in this city, in this church. The first is that the church put its personal comfort and wealth above Christ's mission. I wonder if the church in Laodicea became ineffective or lost sight of God's mission because they grew too comfortable, too wealthy. You see, these comforts and luxuries were a blessing at first, but the more they had, I think it became a roadblock, a hindrance to seeing God. They began to see these comforts and luxuries as essentials, things I must hold on to, things I can't let go of. And so when, when Jesus would ask them to be stretched, and when Jesus would call them to places of discomfort and pain, they didn't want to go there. Like, uh-uh, I'm happy, I'm here. I don't want to go there, Jesus. Don't make me uncomfortable. Because it's oftentimes in pain, hardship, difficulty where Jesus is close. But this church refused to go to those places where Jesus was most present. So let me ask you a question today, church. Do you seek to be comfortable, to live in abundance? What if helping someone in need would cost you or your family discomfort? Would you do it? Or what if pursuing a higher calling from God would cost you or your family to have less? Less money, less friends, less fame, less success, less in the eyes of the world. Would you still obey? I think for the church in Laodicea, they couldn't. They couldn't give that up. They didn't want to change their ways. They had too much to give up. 
And that cost was too costly. So they said, no, Jesus, I don't want it. You know, we're at an interesting time at our church right now. As many of you might know that uh, we're, our lease is actually up in this building. So at the end of December, January, we need to be in a new place. And by April 1st, we're hoping to kind of know the direction we're headed in. And so please, please be praying for our building. But this church, this space is actually wonderful, isn't it? You come in and there's cafe, place to sit, temperature's great, lighting's set. You don't have to do a thing. It's just nice. The only not-so-nice thing is we were outgrowing this space, so now we're kind of fighting for space. But other than that, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, for me, it reminded me of the time when I served at another church previous to this church. I was serving at the church up uh, at Community Church of Seattle up there. It was a big building, so much space. But the thing that was so hard about serving there, I was a kids ministry pastor. And so every Sunday, uh, because we shared that space with a Christian school, it was a school during the weekday and then a church on the weekend. So I'd have to flip these rooms. So Saturday, I would have to come and move tables and chairs. And uh, Sunday, I would stay late, wrapping everything down. There was so much work. But initially, the reason why the church kind of did that was because the church had a vision to make space for those who may normally not come to church, maybe non-Christians, to come to a Christian school, to be exposed to other Christians. And so there were so many non-Christians, and there's, my kids go there, by the way, there's so many kids that don't know God, they don't know Jesus, but they come every day <laughs> for school. But for me, it was inconvenient to have them there. Every Sunday, it meant that I did more work. And so as I thought about, okay, what kind of building are we going to go to? Honestly, the number one thing is like, I hope it's bigger. I hope it's better than what we have here. I hope we don't have to do so much setup. I hope we have a kitchen because it's very inconvenient to order Jimmy John's for every event. I want all these luxuries. I want these good things. And I say, oh God, if I had more of this, I could serve you more. But is it? If I'm being honest... I'm asking for the Lord for things that will make my life easier. Easier commute, more space, more things, so I can be comfortable. We're not asking the Lord, God, what do you think? What do you want? What kind of building should we go to? Where can we go, even if it's difficult, to further your mission? If there's people that need to be reached, we will go. Instead of asking those questions, become inward focus about me and my needs. Perhaps there are some of you in this room that came to new life because it was so nice, because it is so comfortable, because you can quietly come and quietly leave. No one will say anything. It's just very well established. They don't need anything from you. New life has a great kids ministry, which is why we can worship without our kids. They're over there. We have a thriving youth ministry. They're over there worshiping. You're like, yes, this is nice. Maybe some of us are in here because we're looking for community. We want to have Christian friends. We feel very needing that support and care in this season. And there's nothing wrong with that. Perhaps for some of you guys in this room, you need to be in a season where you're resting, receiving, being poured into. But if that is the only reason you are here at this church, to stay comfortable, to be served, to stay within my group 
my things, my people, without reaching out and noticing others that Jesus might be bringing in, church, I think we've lost our way. We've lost sight of God's mission. God did not call us to be new life so we can be comfortable, but God called us to be new life to bring life to others. Amen? And at times to give life, it will cost you something. Cost you a conversation you would normally have with your friends to get out of that conversation and notice someone else that might need a welcome, an encouragement, an invitation to dinner. Church, are we growing too comfortable? Because this church in Laodicea had so much and they lost sight of their need for God. I think another reason why this church became ineffective, spiritually dead, is because they become dependent on themselves. They became spiritually self-sufficient. The church of Laodicea was said to be satisfied and content with what they already had. They said, I have prospered. I need nothing. You know, it's interesting because this town of Laodicea, uh, in that region in 6080, there was a massive earthquake that just shattered the town, broke all the buildings. But Laodicea, interestingly, was the one city in all of this uh, Asia Minor that did not need support from the government. When the government was trying to help, they're like, no, 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 we got it. It's okay. We have a lot of, we have a lot of money. Give it to someone else. We're going to rebuild. And they did. They rebuilt the entire city through their own strength, through their wealth. And I wonder if the church of Laodicea was similar. That they said, no, 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 Jesus. I got this. I don't need help. I don't need to learn. I already know. I know how to do it. I could lead. If you want me to lead, I'll lead. But no, 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 you don't have to help me. Jesus, you should help others who are struggling. You need to be with those who don't know Jesus. Go to them, Jesus. But I'm good. I've done this for a while. I'm okay. Perhaps the church was filled with people who were confident in their own abilities, so sure of themselves that they didn't need a thing from the Lord. You know, if you've been a Christian for a while, let me ask you this question. When you pray, who or what do you pray for? Do you spend time praying for other people to be helped by Jesus? Pray for those who are struggling. Maybe you pray for those who don't yet know the love of God, and you say, oh, God, can you show them your love? Perhaps you pray for that difficult coworker, that a wayward son or daughter, like, God, can you please help them? Change them. God, please. And you're asking me, hey, what's wrong with those prayers? Nothing. You should actually be praying. You should be praying for others. You should be praying for other uh, needs. You should be praying for Jesus to show up in places and in people's lives. But... I want to ask you, when is the last time you prayed for yourselves, for your own heart, for your own soul, for your own needs? When's the last time you prayed that God would change you to be more like him? When's the last time you were so torn and broken and overcome by your sinful nature, your spiritual poverty, and say, God, I am a wretched sinner. I need you. 
I am nothing without you, God. I can't do anything without you. When's the last time we prayed those prayers, church? Jesus, I need you. Not just when we sin. Not when we just know we made mistakes. But even when we're good. We're thinking good. I'm doing well. I'm serving. When's the last time we said, Jesus, I need you here. Things are going well. Thanks. Thank you. But I still need you. I wonder if the church of Laodicea became so dependent on what they thought they already knew. Their spiritual achievements what they were doing for the Lord, that they neglected their own souls. So they stopped asking God for help. They became spiritually independent. So they said to him, and Jesus is saying to the church, hey, you are spiritually empty. You are blind and you're trying to lead other people? You're trying to serve others without being filled with me first? What are you giving them? You are poor. You're pitiful. Who are you trying to lead? Who are you trying to give to? Is what Jesus is saying here. Which leads me to our second point. I promise this will be a little easier. Repent. Repent is what he says. He says, be zealous and repent. Be serious about repenting. This word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia. And it's translated in English as repent, which we're like, oh, okay, something you do when you feel bad or at church you have this time. But no, 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 this word metanoia is so much much greater. It's two words put together, the first being meta, which means above or beyond, and noia, which means understanding. So when we put these words together, metanoia actually means to think and understand in a new way to be transformed in our knowledge and our understanding, to be changed, to be growing. So repentance is not just this one-time thing we do every once in a while, but repentance is really the process of coming before God day in and day out, morning and night, and asking God to change us, to align us, to search our hearts, to recalibrate ourselves, to make sure, hey God, are you good? Are we good? that we are good with God. It's not just in those times when we feel bad, when we've messed up, when we've gone astray, but we need to repent, especially, especially when we think we're doing something right. Especially today, after you came out to church, you're like, oh yeah, I made it to church, I'm good. No, even then, you say, Lord, can you check my heart? There's more, there's more in there. Will you just continue to pour more into me? Asking God to examine, change, conform us. Because I think we all do this. I think it's human nature. We love to compare ourselves with other people. And we think, oh, if I'm doing better than that person over there, I'm good. I go to Orange Theory and I'm like working out. At first, it's so hard. But you know what I start doing after I work out? I start to compare myself and look around. And the person that does less push-ups, less weights, I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm so much better. I'm getting strong. And I begin to compare with those who are like beginners. And then we do that with our faith, don't we? We love to compare with other people. But you know what? Jesus says, I, you should be comparing with me. The standard, the measure, the rubric is not other people. 
It's actually God, Jesus and his holiness. And when we look to God, look to Jesus and his goodness, every time we should be on our knees. God, I fall short, but thank you for your grace. Thank you that you allow me to serve, that you allow me to be here. Repentance is asking God to check if there is any deceit, pride, arrogance, hate, anger that comes out of our flesh that we may not even know. When was the last time, church, you prayed for your soul that God would look into your heart and correct anything wrong in you? Instead of praying for a difficult relationship, asking God to change that person, when's the last time you said, God, can you change me? Maybe there's something wrong with me. Can you help me? I say this because pastors, leaders, seasoned Christians, I think we really struggle with this. We're so good at praying for other people, helping others. And while we do that, we neglect our own souls. We don't check areas where we are unhealthy and we're spiritually sick. And we go on and help other people in our sin. And rather than giving them Jesus, we're actually giving them our junk. Because the truth is, hurt people hurt other people. Unhealthy people pass on their unhealth to other people. And maybe there are some of you guys in this room who have been hurt by unhealthy Christians, unhealthy pastors, unhealthy leaders who are not well. And they've hurt you. And if that's you today, I'm so sorry. That's not really what the church is about, but actually the church is kind of about that too. We're full of sinners. It's not about perfect people, but we follow after a perfect God who's so good, who loves you. So please don't give up on God because of unhealthy Christians. Hang in there. He'll reveal himself to you. Christians, leaders, pastors, I'm speaking to myself. We need to get this right. We need to regularly go to God and ask him to check the condition of our heart and ask him to help us. Let's not be deceived to think that just because we do religious things or help others that we're good. You know the greatest model that we can set for our children is not doing more work at church. It's actually being a good mom and dad. To be loving. To be Christ embodying in the home. Because the kids will see that. And they'll say, oh, there's something good about my mom and dad. It's Jesus. I want Jesus. Tim Keller said, to find God, we must repent of things we've done wrong, but also we must repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. Pharisees only repent of their sins, but Christians repent for the very root of their righteousness. Repentance keeps us from becoming self-righteous. Repentance keeps us from trusting in our own merits. Repentance keeps us from being overly confident in our own goodness. And repentance allows us to welcome God. You see, King David, he wasn't a perfect man, but he's greatly revered in all of history. He's known to be an awesome king. 
But he's also known to be a man after God's own heart. God loved David. He loved David. Do you know why? It wasn't because he built these kingdoms and he was really good at, you know, leading the country politically. It wasn't good because he was good at fighting. It was actually because David was humble. And he regularly went to God for help. In fact, this is what he said. He wrote this psalm. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. This was a psalm of David. And I believe David prayed this again and again. Not just in moments when he needed help. Not just in moments when his life was in danger and in moments where his relationships were being challenged and tested. Those are not the moments he was like, God help me. But every moment, even in the good times, even in his wealth, he's like, God, search my heart. Know my way. Is there anything that offends you that I'm doing, God, and help me so I will be right with you? You know, the one time that David actually thought he was good, and he decided to take things easy. The one time when his kingdom was in abundance and he didn't have to do much, that was that time where he took his eyes off of God. He fell to the temptation of his own lust. He committed adultery with a married woman named Mashiba. And even then, he didn't repent. So you know what that led to? It actually led him to murdering an innocent man. This was King David, the one who was loved by God the one after God's own heart. Even David, when he did not repent, created these grave sins. By God's grace, of course, David later came to repentance through his friend Nathan, who corrected him. But he still had to pay a steep price for that sin. He lost a child. But when he repented, his life was spared. You see, church, repentance is really a gift of God. He says here, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door. Knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him. You know, today Jesus is saying some tough, you're like, oh man, I came to church. and, But you know what? He's saying to us, he loves us. He loves his church so much. He loves you and me that he's willing to say the tough stuff so that we can grow, so that we get this right and we can be with him. He says, hey, all you need to do, he says, hear my voice and open the door. Let go of whatever that you're holding on to and let me in. Jesus says, I'm knocking outside. Isn't that funny? Because Jesus could have left the church If they were like kicked him out of the church, he could have been like, fine, I'm going to go somewhere else. But that's not what he does. And that's not what he does with us. He's patiently waiting, waiting for us to repent, waiting for us to turn around, waiting for us to say, Jesus, I need you. And even this moment, perhaps Jesus is knocking at our door today. And when we say, yes, Jesus, I need you. Yes, I want you. He says he will come in and dine with us. He will feast with us. This word feasting actually means deep, deep communion. 
a life of plenty, a life of abundance that we cannot ever dream of getting. Jesus says, I want to give that to you. Stop fighting to keep the riches of the world. I want to give you my kingdom. You get to sit on my throne with me. Stop holding on to junk. Let me give you something better. I'll give you me. Take me. But church, are we ready to receive him today? Let's pray.